ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, and I'm with Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 142 in our series. Tonight's topic will be How to Sell Books to Schools with Barbara Teckel. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are in the line with Barbara Teckel, who is the award-winning author of the Frankie the Walk and Roll Dog book series. She has shared her story of hope and inspiration about her dachshund, Frankie, who is in a wheelchair with thousands of children and adults since 2007. To date, they have made over 300 appearances in Wisconsin and many more via Skype to classrooms across the U.S. and Canada. Wow, that's amazing. Barbara is also a speaker and publisher. Barbara and Frankie are avid volunteers as a therapy dog team. They routinely visit the local hospice community, hospital and senior assisted living facility where they walk their talk about the inspirational nature of perseverance in the face of challenge. Since before her first book was published, Barbara has worked tirelessly to promote her books and the positive message they embody. She has garnered coverage for her story from local, regional, and national media through these efforts and continues to develop and refine her marketing message and approach. Class Act is the first book about what she's learned, but not likely her last. Wow. Uh, good evening, Barbara. Good evening. Thank you so much for having me on the show tonight. Well, it certainly is great to have you. And I think the first thing I want to do is there's just a lot of buzz that sometimes go on by experts or armchair experts or those that aren't in the know that self-published authors cannot get into libraries and schools, and obviously that is not right. So I'd like you to talk about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would I would have to say um, they are wrong about that. Um, my my target audience is elementary schools, and um, I have done very well doing my presentations, doing author appearances, and going to schools and libraries um, and, and speaking directly to my audience. And that's the, ma- that's the majority of the places of, of where I sell my book because I connect with my audiences. You know, they fall in love with Frankie. They understand the positive message. And it, it makes them feel good, and they want to take something with them, which, you know, are my books, to, you know, to continue on that message. So, yes, it can be done. I've done it. I continue to do it. And um, it's it's... It's been so rewarding and, and just a great journey. I can just well imagine how rewarding it is. Uh, what I wanted to do, Barbara, is your uh, class act. I have the book right in front of me, and I, I just want to read something out of here because I think it's extremely important, and then I'd like you to address that. And uh, in the introduction, you say, making personal appearances in and selling books to schools and libraries can be a wonderful source of revenue for the author. And then you continue to say... Um, that book must be of high quality, meaning it should be well-written, professionally edited, and proofread, and produced to industry standards. Exactly. <laughs> I was very, very... <laughs> tell me more. I, I will tell you more. <laughs> I was very conscious of that fact when I 
wrote my first book, um, which I published in 2008. Um, and... You know, I've seen some books along the way that aren't so good, and I know that's what gives self-publishing a bad name. And somebody who's, as myself, who's created her own company and is very passionate about sharing my message, I really want to instill that in other authors because I really feel that there's so many people in this world who have stories to tell. And I think think that's what our world is about, is sharing those stories and you know, encouraging young people um, that we come across in our lives. And and to have that book be the best that it can be is so crucially important. Um, And I I really, you know, when I talk to other authors that are looking at going the self-publishing route, that's exactly what I try to um, tell them is you've got to have an editor. You know, you've got to have a good illustrator, and it's got to be proofread. You know, if you're going to put your name on something, you know, you want it to be good, and you want it, you want it to be good for everybody else that's doing the same thing. Barbara, do you think that maybe, you know, sometimes the self-published books do have that stigma that they aren't well edited or they weren't, aren't well produced, and do you think that maybe that's where the so-called rumor got around that maybe the schools and uh, libraries don't accept books? Because maybe, you sure, know, in some I'm, cases they I, don't. I'm sure that is. I it's you know it's it's a little bit harder I think for the self-published author um, you know to get into the schools because there is you know there is that stigma attached to it though I see it changing I mean I think there's a lot of hope in that the self-publishing isn't such a bad name like it used to be and I think personally it's really an exciting time to be an author with everything that's ha- what happening in the publishing world and the technology that we have. You know, anybody can really do this if they do their homework. Um, you know, I I studied like crazy. I went to writing conferences. I read every book on publishing that I could, um, listened to teleseminars, shows like yours, and I continue to because I continue to learn. I'm a work in progress, too. So, Great. Uh, Barbara, I just want to get right into it. Uh, they say the first rule of presenting is know your audience. Tell us about what goes into the presentation for the kids. Well, knowing your audience is very important um, because any audience, of course, the, the one question you have to answer or what they're asking is what's in it for me. So knowing this is, is really, really important. And you want to be able to answer that question right up front and communicate that immediately so that, you know, you don't lose your audience. And, um, you know, you have to think about what, for each audience, what is your presentation message going to be and how is it going to help them? And you also want to think about what type of value are you leaving them with. You know, the value that I leave as an example, what I leave with my audiences is when they're faced with a challenge, instead of thinking negatively, to try and encourage them to think positively, that that's going to have a huge effect on their life if they can accomplish that. And as far as, I I think I got a little away from your question, didn't I? Can you tell me again what your question was? Now I feel like Irene, I lost my train of thought there. (laughs) Oh, well, that's quite all right. Um... Basically, I was going for, I'm an author and I want to develop a presentation that's useful to schools. Oh, okay. What are yeah, the, then, I, then I would, sure. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about your own stuff, but, you know, in, from a point of view of developing the presentation. Sure. And you, another thing that you want to do when you're putting together the presentation is you want to think about, go back to what inspired you to write your book. Audiences are very, very fascinated by that. They want to know how you did it. And... Um, audiences are very fascinated also about the personal facts about an author because they, especially schools, 
and um, young children, they look at you like you're a celebrity. Now, you may not feel that way. I don't feel that way. But that's how they look at you. So you want to think about that when you're putting the presentation together. Now, as far as schools, since that's what I'm very familiar with, um, when you're talking with kids, you really want to involve them as much as you can in your talks. Um, this helps keep their attention. Um, and, you know, it makes them feel good to actually be involved and to answer the questions. And when you're talking to a young audience also, you really want to think about visual props or perhaps a PowerPoint presentation. Um, having a variety of different things um, for young audiences helps keep them engaged and keeps their attention as well. But I think one of the most important things, um, and I, I really know that this is something that I have because I'm extremely passionate about my message and my books, um, is to have passion. And if you can take a moment before each presentation, and I do this, I usually arrive um, 15 to 20 minutes before um, my presentation at the school, sometimes a half hour sooner, and I just sit in my car and I, I go back to why was the reason I wrote this book. And it was because I wanted to make a difference in the lives of young children with Frankie's example and her message. So if you can just sit a moment and think about that and bring that passion back, because sometimes we lose it. We get caught up in the, you know, the marketing of our book and getting the presentations booked, and we sometimes lose, lose track of that. But to take a moment and to really think about the passion of that so that comes across in your presentations. Absolutely. Uh, no amount of content is going to fix it if you don't have the passion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's pretend that uh, we're brainstorming with a, a new author. I know some authors do readings, and other authors we've met, one illustrator who actually takes kids through creating a book of their own, and other authors do like mini writing workshops. What are the types of presentations that you've come across or thought of? Um, well, there, I mean, it depends, of course, on your audience. Um, and I'm going to use mine as an example because it's what I know best. Um, and, and hopefully it'll help, it'll help your listeners to think about who their audience is and how they can expand on that. But my, you know, as, a, as an author, you know, I can speak to, to the young audiences because um, of the message about Frankie and the fact that it's a children's book, but being an author and the story behind that also also opens me up to adult audiences, and I can expand on my presentation. You know, I mean, adults as well have challenges. We all have challenges. So, as an author, if you can think of various, even though if you wrote a children's book, you can how can you how can you adapt that presentation to expand your audiences? I guess what I'm trying to say. Um, and it might take a little thinking and maybe researching what other authors are doing. Um, and I've gone to other other author websites to study the different types of presentations that they are doing and maybe coming up with a theme, a theme for different types of um, presentations that you can do. Great. Yeah, those are some, some, some good pointers. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the, the don'ts part. What are the pitfalls that... Uh, we can run into, especially when we're pitching it to faculty, administration, and librarians. One of the pitfalls is, um, you know, knowing what your target audience is and, you know, and the one that which you wrote your book for. Um, and then another thing is, especially when you're talking to younger children and maybe going to libraries where you're going to speak to young kids also, you want to keep your, your sales language very subtle. And if you're talking to administrators and teachers, I, I think that's important too. Yes, as authors, Obviously, we want to sell books, 
Um, but we also want to remember we're there to leave an impact on our audience. And um, so you want to be really careful about how you, how you market that and how you say, you know, how you say your words that you're not being blatantly, you know, blatantly marketing your, your book. And um, to make an appropriate classroom presentation, you know, your message and your story and your book, um, you want to teach valuable lessons. So when you're talking to a teacher or administrator, you want to talk to them about what your presentation is and what the kids are going to come away with and what's going to inspire them from your message. I mean, that's really what's going to put you in demand um, as a classroom speaker, and it's what's going to create awareness um, for your message and, and demand for your book. And there again, Barbara, that goes back to the what's in it for me. So making that right. presentation, what I'm hearing from you is always reflect as to what what's in it for me as for them. Yeah. Exactly. You know, when when I when I wrote my first book and decided I was going to do presentations, um, that's what I thought about it. You know, I, I, would, I say to myself all the time, this isn't about me. You know, this is about my audience. This is about how I can posit- positively impact them and how can I help them to live a better life because of what I've learned be- from my story. Exactly. Barbara, I just wanted to go backtrack a little bit. And you had mentioned props. Now, obviously, you use Frankie as a prop. And yes. Do yes. you personally use any other props? Um. Frankie is my prop, and then her wheelchair is the prop. I actually do demonstrations mm-hmm. with her how she gets in and out of her wheelchair. But then my other prop is um, uh, <laughs> is a PowerPoint. I also use PowerPoint with different pictures of her, you know, before and after her being in a wheelchair. And um, I'm trying to think of any, have any other props. Oh, I have, a, I have a measuring tape. We actually measure, and the kids learn how I had to measure Frankie to be fitted for a wheelchair. So... You know, especially with young kids, you the, the more visual it can be, mm-hmm. you know, the more excited and big their eyes are going to be, and it's going to keep their attention, you know, going. So that's a good thing. Now, you had mentioned PowerPoint and, and pictures. Now, I'm just thinking that, okay, uh, for other authors that don't have a Frankie in a wheelchair, but yeah. maybe mm-hmm. they have, you know, they have a children's book. Right. So what what other things do you suggest and what do you suggest let's say on a powerpoint that they have um i know one author that actually um she actually went to the printer that uh put her book together and she actually took pictures of the process of her book being put together by the printer and she actually went from the very beginning of illustrations on how she because she actually did her own illustrations plus, plus the writing of the book so her whole presentation and props and PowerPoint is based on creating the story, the illustrations, how it goes to print, and then having pictures of that whole process, and then having the illustrations, you know, from the first illustration she did to the, what the complete illustration looks like. So um, you could do that, or, you know, if you have a character in your book, maybe you could create a, a plush toy from that character, or a cardboard cutout from that car- that character, um, those types of things for props. Mm-hmm. Um, another author that I know, um, I can't think of the title of her book right now, but it involves um, an animal that's looking for its tail. So it comes across all these different animals with um, different tails. So she has all these different tails that she brings into the classroom to show the, the kids this animal trying to find his tail. So what I'm looking or hearing is also that education is the basis 
uh, any right. presentations that you do or other authors have done. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barbara, then what would be the appropriate length of a presentation, let's say, for your target audience and then, you know, others that may be an older right. group or a younger group? Um, well, my target audience, again, is elementary children, and um, I'm usually asked to speak about 30 minutes, and that's about, you know, the length that they can sit and really listen and grasp everything that you're saying, um, and then with just a few minutes for question and answer after that. And then if you have a younger audience, say, say you have a young early reader um, children's picture book, um, and the kids are six and under, they're not going to sit very long. Um, so you really want that to be only be like 15 to 20 minutes. Um, if your audience is high school kids, you may be asked to fill the whole classroom period, um, and that's usually about 50 minutes. So you want to make sure that your presentation can fill that whole time, and obviously you can leave Q&A um, time in there too. And then when you're speaking to adult, adult audiences, I've done anywhere from a 15-minute presentation, which was one of my biggest challenges <laughs> because I love to talk. <laughs> so trying to get everything that I wanted in 15 minutes was kind of hard, but I did it. Um, but usually, typically, you're going to be asked to speak you know, 30 to 60 minutes to um, an adult audience. Um, and I think usually 60, you know, more than 60 minutes is quite unusual, but those are the um, different lengths for presentations for various ages. Do you usually engage your audience? I do. I I so enjoy that part of it, yes, absolutely. You know that, especially for young kids that, you know, I do ask at some point, um, I do two demonstrations, so I ask the children to come up. I ask for volunteers. And, you know, when you're dealing with young kids, you know, every hand in the the audience goes up. They all want to come up and help. If you're talking to adults, that's, you know, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, we tend How to we get change. tired all of a sudden. <laughs> but, yes, I do, and I find such joy in that and, and help. You know, sometimes the kids are shy when they come up, and just look what you're instilling in them, you know, to, uh, that it's okay to be standing up here in front of all of your peers, and, and it's okay if you make a mistake. So, Great. Let's talk about the mechanics of sales. I mean, I had one author ask me, you know, how this works, and I thought, well, maybe you should make a, a, a slip that the kids can take home to their parents and their parents can bring them, have them bring in a check or something. What, what kind of that's, ways? That's a great question. I love that question. I actually have put together, um, I have a, I call it an e-book. It's a free download of what, um, what my presentation covers, a little information about me, um, I have bookmarks in there that the teachers can make copies of, but I also have a book order form in there. And the book order form, I also have um, instructions in the ebook that explains to send the book order form two weeks before my visit um, to encourage the kids that if they'd like, um, they'd like the book um, to have their, their parents send the money you know, to the, to the school with the order form. And then there's a cutoff date that it needs to be to the school by. Um, so having that book order form, the easiest, the easiest you can make it for the organizer, especially teachers and librarians who are so busy, um, you know, the better chances you're going to have um, for book sales um, from your from your um, visit with the with the school or the library. So I include that when I do a, I do a letter of agreement once they book a date and a time with me. That all all that information goes out to them, and I send them to the link to the free download, and I have it all very well spelled out. So there's really no question um, 
of how this is how this is going to go. And like I said, the easier you can make it, the better it's going to be on you too. <laughs> Great, because you know sometimes if it's like a evening event, there will be parents and kids, but obviously during the day it's probably not parents. So that's thanks for uh, clearing that up. I noticed we haven't mentioned bookstores, which is good. Do you do bookstore events, and how do they compare? If you do. Um, I have done a few bookstore events. Um, I haven't done a lot of those. Uh, it's not really, it's really not my, you know, because my book is for young children. Um, I tr- if I do an event, I'm do- I mean, I'm doing an event in October where um, the parents would actually bring their children to this type of event because um, it's, I don't know how to, I can't, I just totally lost my train of thought again. Sorry about that. Um, but a type of venue where maybe it's not a bookstore, um, like this is a place called Bookworm Gardens where um, there's outdoor books and there's um, gardens, and so they do different events there. And wherever you can involve the parents with the children, obviously if the parents hear your message, they're the ones that have you know the wallet and they're the ones that are going to buy the book for their kids. So bookstores aren't really my strong strong point for um, selling books. You know, having doing an event there. Yeah, I'm just thinking about all these different organizations like uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or Cub Scouts, Girl mm-hmm. Scouts. Have you done, like, club yes. and organizations? Yes, I have. I've, I've done both. I've done, or I should say, I've done Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and those go over very well. Um, it depends, you know, sometimes that's what they're teaching at the moment, so your presentation might fit in very well with that. Great, great. This is this is really exciting. Let's talk about. I'm surprised that you're able to get Skype to work for these things. Tell us about uh, the alternatives <laughs> to in-person stuff. Oh my gosh, I am so passionate about Skype and so excited about Skype. Um, you know, I'm sure you know you've heard a lot about you know school budgets and library budgets being cut. You know, and as an author. Many of us, especially if we self-published, we've got a very limited budget. So when I first started hearing about Skype and the potential, I got really, really excited. And personally, for me, with a little dog who is disabled, it's you know I'm not gonna, I can't put her on a plane and travel with her. Or I've made that choice. I'm not going to do that to her and stress her out. So when I started to hear about Skype, I really started to pay attention. Now, schools weren't totally on board at the beginning because it involved the Internet and having that connection. But I have found in the past year and a half, schools are really embracing technology because what's so cool about Skype is not only is it great as an author who has a limited budget, it's great for schools and libraries who are, whose budgets continue to decline. And it's also um, it's great for kids to learn technology because that's our world. Technology is our world these days. And my, as far as my presentation, it works, it works just as well. Um, the only thing is they don't have that connection with Frankie in person or with me in person. Um, but I have to tell you, it's a pretty, pretty close, um, right up there with doing an actual in-person visit. Wow, that is, that is encouraging. Uh, speaking of which, do you have, like, complete presentations on YouTube or do you have – segments of you doing various parts of your talk or any anything pre-recorded? That is like a really good idea, Victor. I should do that. I should do sections of my presentation. I, I just have a small video um, explaining what my presentations are about and that we are available via Skype. Um, and, you know, I've done quite a few of them. And last year, um, towards the end of the school year, 
this is where I really started to see an increase. I had eight schools contact me within two weeks of wanting to get Skype presentations booked before the end of the year. And I'm starting, you know, I really follow that. And there's, you know, I know a couple of teachers that are actually starting to give presentations at teacher conferences on how to use Skype and all the different um, different avenues. There's also a, um, I think it's called Skype. Oh, i got to think now. Skype actually set up a website just for classrooms to create a profile on there. It's all these different teachers as well as authors can create a profile on there saying that you're available to do Skype visits. Um, I think it's Skype, Skype.classroom or Classroom, I can't remember. Um, maybe I could send that to you and you can include that on Authors Access um, when you announce this. But um, I see how excited I get. I'm so excited about <laughs> Skype. It, you know, the, the possibilities are endless with it. And just think how many students and how many schools that you can reach. Now, libraries aren't as quick to be on board with it. I've only done a handful of libraries, but I really have no doubt that within the next year or two, um, libraries are also going to start embracing that as well. Yeah, that is so encouraging. You could you could spend 40 hours a week doing Skype presentations. You absolutely could. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And, you know, I really try to concentrate my efforts on booking Skype visits um, because my little dog has gotten older and to take her out, um, you know, I can't take her out as much as I used to at the beginning. So this is a great alternative, and um, I just am so tickled about it. I just think it's wonderful. And I want to mention, too, for um, any authors that are listening, a great, great um, website. If they decide they want to do Skype visits, which I encourage them to, um, there's a website called skypeanauthor.wetpaint.com. If you just Google Skype and Author, this this website will come up. But it's a free online network um, which connects teachers and schools with authors um, that are willing to share their messages via Skype. Wow, that's great. That is amazing. Uh, I'm, you probably haven't, but have you tried getting in onto speakers bureaus and getting referrals that way? I haven't. I, I have not. That's a that's a good suggestion, though. Because some of them, you know, you can, there's literally a drop down and you can pick out, you know, exactly what type of inspirational message you have or, or what your, what your shtick is. So that, right, that's, that's another thing. Right, that's a great idea. Sure. Uh, yeah. Have you worked with the, you know, faith-based organizations? Is there any way that you change your presentation or your message or your pitch if it's a, you know, a parochial school versus a public school or anything like that? No, not really. I think my, you know, my message is very universal, so I don't have that um, challenge of doing that. Um, you know, maybe maybe depending on the the message or the book, you might have to. I I'm not, you know, with children's books, I'm not so sure that that might be an issue. Sure, just worth uh, bringing up. All right, yeah, let's talk was. about yep. talk about the the filthy money aspect. How can I set my prices? for schools, and aren't they just going to say, we don't have any money? So tell us about how that works. Well, I, first of all, I want I really want authors to know that that's sort of a myth that schools say they don't have money. They have money. You just have to be creative in figuring out where that money is coming from. <laughs> and that's something I learned along the way. And the majority, I will say the majority of schools that I've worked with, um, 
the majority of the times the money is coming from the PTA or the PTO. Um, another option is um, is sometimes parents will sponsor your visit. I've had that happen a couple of times, which was just so wonderful and so awesome. But as far as trying to decide what you charge, which is one of the hardest things, I think, for authors, I know I struggled with it, um, it's really based on a, a, a number of different factors. Um, obviously, first of all, your experience and your credibility. You know, how many books have you written? When I first started out, I only had one book. You know, now I have I have three children's books. So, you know, I the credibility there has grown. And then your demand for your presentation. Um, once people get word of of what you're doing, and if you're doing a good job, you're going to be in demand. So that's going to count. That's going to play into what you can charge. Now what you charge is also going to depend on how long you speak and how many presentations that you might commit to in one day. If you're going to a school for a full day, obviously you have to adjust your pricing for that. And then charging for in-person visits is obviously going to be different than what you charge for Skype because you're not going to have the travel and you're not going to have the, you know, the travel expenses um, along with that. Um, and you need to you know, do your, your research about what other speakers are charging and also you know, what are speakers charging in your area? Because it's, it's different from region to region. But, you know, as I say all that, here, here's my personal take on it. As a new author starting out, I was very eager to get my message out there. So I did a couple of presentations for free to help spread the word. And then what I did was I asked those teachers or those librarians or the organizer of the event would they please provide a testimonial for me? So it would spread by word of mouth and I'd have the testimonials. And, you know, as I've gotten better at doing my presentations, I felt more comfortable with, um, you know, raising, raising my fee. I think it's just really important that when you're working with schools and libraries, you know, sometimes they do have a budget. And, you know, to try and work with them, that's at least what I do. I have a set fee. But if I know there's an option of, say, there's 400 students there and I have the opportunity of maybe to sell 100 to 150 books, well, that's worth adjusting my fee for. Um, and it just depends. You have to weigh that all out. And I think the biggest thing sometimes is to get our ego out of the way and um, how, you know, how passionate are we about getting our message out there. Well, you certainly, uh, as I'm listening to you, you have your marketing down pat and you know what you have to do. And I'm just really pleased to hear that. Barbara, one of the things that I want to ask you, I know a lot of our listeners to these podcasts are fiction book writers. Now, you know, we're looking at you and you go to a school with a children's book and you've got Frankie and this is nonfiction, this is real. And so right. I'm wondering if you have some suggestions for fiction writers as to maybe mm-hmm. how they can make that platform to present. Well... What I think is interesting about fiction, and this is just coming off the top of my head, <laughs> what I think is interesting about fiction is it came from somewhere. You know, it might be fiction, but where did that story come from? And I think that's what's really interesting about fiction, and I think that's something you could really play off as far as doing a presentation and making it really intriguing and interesting for your audience is, I mean, I'm fascinated by people who can write fiction. It's not something I I think I can do. I'm I'm much better at nonfiction, and I actually have to live the story in order to tell the story. So I really think they could be very very creative with that, and that could be it might be a challenge, but I also think it could be a great presentation that would really intrigue their audiences. 
but I don't have any specific tips. I agree with you. And, you know, my thoughts are always that if a person writes fiction, they've had to do some type of research on whatever. Uh, maybe if it's mm-hmm. historical, they still have to do some research. So then they become an expert, and that can be definitely used as a platform. Sure, sure, exactly. Barbara, one thing I wanted to ask you before we uh, close here is, are you successful in getting media coverage? I am. Tell I us am. how and everything we need <laughs> to know. <laughs> um, one, one of, um, well, I, you know, I'm very active on Facebook. I'm very active on Twitter. Um, also, as far as media coverage, one of the things that's really helped me um, is, is, I don't know if, you, if I'm saying it right, Haro, H-A-R-O, help a reporter uh-huh. out. Uh-huh. Um, and I subscribe to that. And um, every time I see, and it's journalists looking for stories to do, every time I see um, something that might pertain to my book or my story and what I'm doing, I pitch that. I pitch that journalist. And one cool thing that happened to me, I mean, I had a lot of great things happen to me as far as that goes. Um, uh, our story's actually been in, in two books by major publishers. It's going to be, and then another story is going to be in another book by another major publisher um, coming up this fall. And a lot of this happened through connecting with people on Facebook. But the Haro, Help a Reporter Out, um, there was a woman looking to do stories about therapy dogs, and my dog's a therapy dog. So I pitched her, and she ended up writing my story for a book um, that was for a therapy dog um, facility out in New York, which happens to be run by Rachel McPherson, who used to be a model. Now that happened, and then, um, oh, from that book, that book was passed along to a publisher who re- who reviewed the book. Um, it was Bauer Publishing, who had one of, has one of the biggest magazines in the world, which is um, Women's, uh, sorry, yeah, Women's World. And... Out of all the stories in that book, they picked our book to do a feature story on. Now, that was all from that Help a Reporter Out by pitching a journalist. Um, so that, that, that's a huge thing. Um, I'm always, you know, looking for magazines, looking for stories um, that might pertain, you know, to, to what, my, what I'm doing, and I, and I pitch to them as well. I think just being really active and... Um, you know, paying attention to that, and I know there's there's reporter connection. That's another, and I know if you just Google these, you'll find them, mm-hmm. and you can sign up for their email list. But um, that's really how I did it. I just, um, you know, and when you when you go to a school, say if you travel um, to different states, if you go to school, um, I ask for them to contact the press. That's in my my information that I send them. You know, contact your press. Let them know an author is coming. Let them know. You know, I'm. I am fortunate in that fact that I have a dog who's on wheels, and that's pretty exciting to see. Um, but let you know, encourage them to do that, or to contact their press, um, their paper, and and to let them let, know you're going to be there. And that's how I've gotten a lot of press coverage is through those avenues. Wow! And you know, you said something important: paying attention, and that is so true. Barbara, your book that you have just put out, Class Act: Sell More Books Through School and Library Author Appearances. Give us your website for this book. It is promoteyourbooktoschools.com. Schools is plural. Promoteyourbooktoschools.com. Thanks, Barbara. This has been a real pleasure having you on the show and talking about a topic that so many authors really want that information because they do want to get into the schools and libraries, and you've been such a great help. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I really... 
I really want to help other authors um, to be as successful as I have, and I really hope that um, my book will help them with that. Great. Thanks very much uh, from all of us here. And this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, doing historical research through recorded interviews with Susan Violante. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views in Austin, Texas, this is Irene Watson saying goodnight. And I'm Victor Volkman at Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.